Hello. Hello, friends. That's nice. Someone just said, hello, Laura. It's lovely. Um, it's great to be with you here on time. Did anyone get caught out by the hour today? Anybody? I, I didn't, and then I did. So um, I said to James, James had gone out to play touch rugby this afternoon, and I, he'd, I said, what time will you be back? He said, about five. But I've forgotten to turn the kitchen clock back. So I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, oh my word, it's 10 past five, and it gets to 25 past five. And at what I thought was half past five, I rang James. And there's just, hello, a nice jolly voice on the end of the phone. And I'd love to tell you that I said, hello, darling, are you okay? Didn't quite, um, but he set me straight very graciously, and uh, all's good. So uh, I just wish that, you know, they'd just keep it simple, really, and just leave the time alone. Everyone would be fine. Um, and um, that's what tonight is all about. It's about be- keeping it simple. It's about living more simply. I hope you're up for that. And how that fits in with this whole money series. I think it's quite an interesting theme. So I just thought, as it's the last talk, that I'm just going to summarise where we've got up to so far. So I hope that's okay with you. So the first principle I think that we heard about four weeks ago now was that everything we have is God's. Absolutely everything. And for some of us, that might just be something we need to be reminded of. It might be revolutionary for others. Um, What's God's isn't just the bit we give to him, but actually everything. I mean, can you think of anything we have that hasn't ultimately come from God? You know, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's just him there. So actually everything has stemmed from him. So it's just good to be reminded, isn't it? Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So that was the sort of foundation point that we started with. The next point we we talked about was tithing. And uh, tithing, as probably you know, is uh, giving away 10% of everything that you earn. And um, that's not a requirement by the law. It's just a recommendation. It's something that Christians practice as the Jews did. In Islam, by the way, it's only two and a half percent. So we're not getting off to, you know, it's not, it's not too hard, is it? Um, it's actually, it's harder, but it, it <laughs> what I mean is we have the opportunity to give more. And um, it says in Malachi uh, 3 verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. How many of us have got a testimony? I just want you to raise your hand of tithing faithfully and seeing God bring in more blessing as you've done that in your life. Yeah, I certainly have. Um, There was a point in my life when I was earning um, £26 a week. I was working as a youth worker in East Ham uh, as an 18-year-old on a year out. Um, The people I was living with were were getting £26 a week as well for my room and board. So I figured that was a £5.20 tithe, and that was quite a lot when you've only got £26 to live on in London. Um, But God was so faithful. And I've shared it before, but I'll never, ever forget the moment when, for the first time in my life, I had to ask God for money because I knew I needed more than I had in my purse. I had six quid in my purse and I worked out that I was going to need at least 20 pounds to cover the weekend's expenses and I just didn't have it. And I was, I was shaking as I kneeled by my bed and I thought, I'm just going to do what all of those great missionaries that I've been reading about did because I'm just like them. I'm loved just as much as them. I'm just going to say, God, it's between you and me. I'm not going to tell anyone else, but I need, I need more than, than I've got. And I wrote it in my journal. 
And, you know, we were just singing, he's never going to let us down. You know, it's true. It is true. The next day, an envelope came to the door with £100 in cash in. The next day. I'd never prayed a prayer like that before, and I'd never received a gift like that before. Now, either that's an amazing coincidence, or our God is a God who hears us when we pray, one-to-one, and who moves and acts. I don't know who that person was that put that money in that envelope, but that blessed me so much. To them, it might have just been another day's work. So I love tithing. I love what God does with it. Thirdly then, offerings called alms in the Old Testament. Um, So these are sort of additional gifts. So the tithe isn't really, um, you know, that's it. It's done, job done. There's also opportunity to give offerings. And... um, there's two types of giving with, off- with offerings, reasoned and risk. Now, I'm getting a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about tonight from a guy called Richard Foster, who is an absolute legend. These are two of the best books that I have read ever. And they're on the bookstore. And I just say, get your nose into these. They are amazing. Money, Sex and Power is fantastic. If you've been enjoying this series and you want to go deeper, grab that book. And the Celebration of Discipline is one we've been doing as a life group. I'd really recommend that to you. They're both absolute dynamite. And in it, he talks about reasoned and risk giving. So he says, sometimes you want to sit down and reason it out and think, you know, I really have this cause on my heart. So it might be tear fund. It might be um, Bible Bible a month with Bible Society. It might be um, IJM that we just heard an advert for. You know, whatever the cause is, it might even be a tiny little cause that nobody else really knows about, but it's really been placed on your heart. That's reason giving. Sit down, pray about it, have a look at the organisation and check that they're legit. But there also might be risk giving as well, where you're not actually 100% sure whether the person you want to give some money to is going to use it correctly. And I always remember my, my home church organising a holiday a water sports holiday, and they said, we're going to keep it really low, we're going to subsidise it, so that even the poorest family in the church can come. And the poorest family in the church came, and they were heavily subsidised, and they arrived with a brand new video recorder. (laughs) And that really threw a few people in the church. Like, oh, we gave them this gift. And then they've gone and found some money from somewhere and spent it on a video recorder. We haven't got a video recorder. Sometimes that's what it takes in, in giving an offering. You know, the widow's might, the widow who put that offering into the temple, she didn't know. She had good reason, didn't she, to think the temple people wouldn't have used it for good. But Jesus still praised her anyway. It was the faithful heart that Jesus saw. So if you've ever given something and you're unsure about how it was used, just know God knows what you did. And it was worth something to him. Last week, we had a brilliant talk, two brilliant talks on time, treasure, and talents. And we heard, didn't we, that we should think about those three things as amazing resources that can be used not only for temporary things, but also for eternal things, eternal causes. I mean, how many of us know that that is that laying up treasure in heaven is a major business investment. I found this so encouraging because um, since I gave up my job six years ago, I don't receive a lot of money at all, but I seem to be working quite a lot of the time. So to think about the things I'm doing as eternal investments, to think about a kind of bank account in heaven that I'm making deposits into was just a super helpful way for me to see that what I'm doing is something substantial. So don't despise the day of small things. Whatever you're doing for the kingdom, whether it's serving coffee, whether it's just being kind to someone or having time for a colleague that needs a helping hand or a listening ear, 
that is all like a deposit going into the bank account in heaven. And one day you'll be able to see that. We'll be able to see it for what it is. So that's just hugely encouraging, isn't it? That sort of bounces us in to our scripture for tonight. So the first two or three verses are a recap on last week. So I'd just like, you, like us to get up now. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. If you have a Bible, please open it now. Get your pen out, pencil, get scribbling. Or follow it on the screen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It takes faith, doesn't it, to see what we're putting into heaven as an investment, as something that is substantial. But I just want to reiterate, you know, how many of you know that that time you might spend with a niece or a nephew, reading the Bible with them, or um, just something you're doing for God in whatever way you are, that it's actually um, a deposit in the bank of heaven. So back to the list, that was last week's, and today... I'm going to start with this principle. Money is spiritual matter. This whole issue of money is not just a material or a physical thing. It's not just another option for what to do on a day when we think about what we're going to do. It's actually something that is spiritual and it is a battle. Money is poison, says Richard Foster. And like poison... It is a blessing only when it is used properly and with great care. He tells a story about a guy who um, was really going for it for the kingdom and had a lot of spare cash. So he decided that he was going to start buying up property or real estate, as they call it in America, and doing it up and then reselling it a year later at a profit. So he started doing this and he was like, oh, this is amazing. It's making loads of money for the kingdom. But what happened to him was that he got captivated He got captivated by an investment mentality and it really depleted him spiritually. And sadly, in the book, Richard Foster said, he's still recovering from the effect it had on him. So I just want to put that out there that for some of us, this is a really uncomfortable teaching that money is spiritual. And I just want you to be feeling around as we're speaking. Is there any sense in which money has a negative hold on us? I'm just going to ask you, Dan, just to put up the picture, please, of Mammon by George Frederick Watts. And this um, was drawn and was painted in 1880. But 200 years before, in the 17th century, Milton wrote about Mammon. And this is what he wrote. Mammon led them on. Mammon, the least erected spirit that fell from heaven, for even in heaven his looks and thoughts were always downward bent, admiring more the riches of heaven's pavement, trodden gold, than aught divine or holy else enjoyed in vision beatific. By him first men also, and by his suggestion, taught, ransacked the centre, and with impious hands rifled the bowels of their mother earth for treasures better hid. Soon had his crew opened into the hill a spacious wound and digged out ribs of gold. 
That was from Paradise Lost by John Milton. But when George Frederick Watts painted this picture, it was the Industrial Revolution and the greed of the factory owners that inspired it. And if you could look at it, if we just look at it again, there's just some details that I just want to pull out of this picture. I don't know whether you can see his face, but there is just a look of bloated listlessness on his face. He, he's there in all of this grandeur in these gold cloths with a crown on his head in a throne. But he is absolutely listless, bloated, gluttonous. He's a tyrant on the throne, an object of utter revulsion. And in one hand, he has his hand just sort of loosely resting on a beautiful girl who's quite clearly dead and his foot on a young aspiring youth as he just tramples on that youth with his ambition. On his knee, there are money bags. And in the background, you can sort of see smoke and fire, which suggests devastation. It's a really horrible picture. It's a horrible picture of Mammon. And when you hear John Milton as well and his words on Mammon, ripping out the earth in, in this lust for things that will never satisfy, I wonder if we can see our society at all. I wonder if we can see Cheltenham. I wonder if we can see our own hearts. Lust for affluence is psychotic. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like, said Andre Guida. I don't know whether any of you have seen um, a brilliant documentary by Stacey Dooley, who I think is great. It's called Fashion's Dirty Secrets. Has anyone seen it? And it's absolutely amazing. But she tells a story in it that is just heartbreaking. And I wonder if we could just have the picture up of the Aral Sea. And if you can see the big sort of edge, the big yellow um, outline, that was where the Aral Sea was. It says their approximate shoreline in 1960. And as you can see, the picture sort of is, is, is changing along with the date. I think it should be a live picture. Is it moving? Um, you can see it getting smaller and smaller and smaller as it dries up. And the Aral Sea was the fourth largest lake in the whole world. And it's just virtually disappeared. We have got a little bit more back, but most of it has virtually disappeared. And all the people who lived along the shorelines and who fished in the Aral Sea used it for... People went there for leisure and tourism. They used it as their livelihood. They've all been driven out or been driven into poverty. Why, you might ask? Well, there is a little bit of natural famine, but mainly the reason is the fashion industry. Because what the fashion industry have done is they have diverted water from the rivers into the cotton fields of Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. Because cotton takes up a ridiculous amount of water. So, you know, us, those of us who are wearing t-shirts and jeans, you know, that's what the de sort of devastation that is being caused. I really encourage you to watch that documentary because it is, if, if we're looking for a reason just to slow down our habits of buying, um, even a, um, you know, a, a material like cotton that we may have thought was fairly organic and fairly um, you know, um, good for the, for the earth, it might just change our views. Richard Foster again. We are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they are worn out. 
It is time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Okay, I'm preaching this to myself. I'm preaching this to myself. It's hard teaching. Now, I wonder if we can make old clothes or thrift fashionable again. Okay, so I want you to turn to the person next to you and just compare who is wearing the oldest clothes. Think of something you're wearing and how old is it? Go. Okay. Right. Right, I'm going to give someone um, bragging rights now. Okay, don't be ashamed because we just turned it all on its head. You know, you have got kudos tonight if you are wearing old clothes. So, who is wearing something that is more than three years old? Amazing. Five years old or more. Seven? Ten. Oh, this is good. Twelve. Fourteen. It's between these two. Oh, someone on the top and these two guys here. Fifteen. Sixteen. Seventeen. Eighteen. Nineteen. Twenty. Oh, my word. Jane, I love it. Twenty-five. Jane Clements Yap, is that you? Can we just give her a clap? Twenty-five years old. What, what is it? Can you tell us? Oh, I love it. Amazing. A hand-me-down scarf from your mother. Respect to that lady. That is amazing. Can we start a culture where we, where we are excited about that? Where we start to congratulate each other? I think, I think that yeah, we need to be different as the church, don't we? So perhaps we just need to be careful if we're complimenting people all the time on their new clothes, their new this, their new that. Actually, what about complimenting someone on you know, reviving something in an exciting way? You know? So maybe next Sunday, let's have Revive Sunday. Try and wear something from the back of the wardrobe. Maybe pairing it with something slightly different fresh colour or, you know, whatever. Borrowing something as well. Let's just try to just slow down. I mean, I was in town today, you know, my eye was turning 50% off, Jack Wills and Hobbs, and I'm thinking, oh, look at that. But we don't need it, do we? Not really. Covetousness we call ambition. Hoarding we call prudence. Greed we call industry. Richard Foster again. But there is another warning. To attempt to arrange an outward lifestyle of rejecting mammon without the inward reality can lead to deadly legalism. Cue picture of Scrooge. We all know people like this, don't we? There may be one or two of us here. I'm sure it's not true. I'm sure there's not one or two of us sitting there, Jane, feeling a bit self-righteous, thinking, yes, I've been telling everyone this for a long time. You know, it's not actually good to be mean, okay? So the opposite of mammon spirit is to be mean-spirited. But not for us, Richard Foster says, not so for us. You know, we shouldn't be people who can't live in the land of milk and honey that Jesus is bringing us to. You know, Jesus feasted. Now, I absolutely love this fact about him. He feasted, and he's quite often saying something amazing, reclining at the table. Now, you don't recline unless you've just eaten a really big meal. Okay. He also had a lovely tunic that was, we said, woven into one piece. So he had one really nice tunic. He just wore it a lot. He wore it until it, he would have worn it until it worn out. So 
We can be people who are grateful for God's good gifts, especially those ones that are free. Cue Janet. I'm aging myself there. Does anyone know who Janet is? Best things in life are free, yeah? So um, that's what she sang. Actually, we can be people who go about the place just enjoying nature, enjoying relationships with family and friends, enjoying all the things that God has given us. And also, we don't deprecate the use of money towards our family. Investing in our children is one of the finest investments we can make for advancing the kingdom of God. And uh, Richard says, enriching experiences that broaden their perspective and sensitise their spirit are well worth the investment. You know, we took our kids to East Africa last year. It was a big expense, um, but it was an amazing trip. And we really wanted to get under their skin the idea that we are super, super privileged. As we heard last week, you know, if we've got spare change in our pocket, we're in the top 8% in the whole world in terms of wealth. And we just wanted to really get that under their point, under their skin and give them a point of reference. So that is a good thing to do. But no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. And that can be true for either the mammon spirit or the mean spirit. Because I would argue that we can be devoted to frugality and we can despise extravagance just as much as we can do the devotion to mammon spirit, to materialism, and despising anyone that's wearing sort of poor or shabby attire. But how many of us know that God is an extravagant God? Yeah? Do we know that? Can you just say that out loud? God is an extravagant God? Can you just turn to someone and tell them? It's really important, isn't it? It's something that God has reminded me of in my life. So, neither the mammon spirit nor the mean spirit are going to help us. The model way is the way of simplicity. The way of simplicity. So, on with the Bible text for tonight. So, we're looking from verse 26. I just want you to just enjoy this passage. It is such a wonderful passage. Verse 25, sorry. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What a great passage. So we're going to start with that last verse, verse 33. One of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So seek is the S of an acronym that is going to reveal itself as we move on. It's not going to be hard to tell fairly soon. But um, I'm going to ask Dave Clark at this point to come up because he is a guy who has done a little bit of seeking first the kingdom of God. So as he comes, I'm just going to give you a bit of context. Last February, February last year, uh, Dave Clark was in a really nice cushy number, a nice cushy job at HSBC. And um, he had a nice package, in the job, nice bit of security, yeah? And then he felt um, that God was really just sort of bugging him and moving him to go part-time. And what he eventually ended up with was part-time working at Trinity and part-time working at YMCA. Now, they're wonderful stories in themselves. But I've asked him to come up here because I wanted to ask him how that felt in that interim when you started to feel that God was wanting you to go part-time and move you away from this nice, cushy situation at HSBC. How did that feel? Um, initially, um, it was quite exciting because it was a bit of an answer to prayer in terms of um, what happened with the uh, the job the first job Trinity um, but you know like we were saying before it was it was part time I was in a full time job so <clears throat> initially although I was really excited about it um, and we got confirmation after praying my amazing wife encouraged us to pray about it and uh, we got a real answer, real amazing answer to prayer about it um, but then um, after that not long after um, I started to get a little bit of a doubt I guess and. Um, uh, you know, to my shame, kind of, um, kind of was a little bit of a rocky moment where I was worrying about the future. How kind of we're going to make ends meet? You know, we had mortgage to pay, three children. It was like, well, how are these figures going to kind of add up? Um, at this time, I didn't have the job uh, at YMCA, so it was kind of like, well, how how are things going to kind of work out? Um, but you know, inside for all of this, God was still faithful, still working because, um, you know, even though I was anxious. Certain times coming here for prayer, um, I feel his presence, feel peace, same worshipping, the same kind of thing. And I was kind of drawn out of this anxiousness where I wasn't sleeping. Um, quite a few verses as well uh, came to mind. Um, and also I was given verses. Um, one of them was uh, uh, the one in Philippians. So um, let, me, let me get it together. Um, uh, for my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And where before, I guess, I was trying to think, well, how am I going to make things work? You know, I was kind of thinking, well, actually, through that, when that landed, it was kind of like, well, yeah, that's what it should be. He, you know, relying on him and his, his purposes. What an amazing transformation. So you, you're now working for Trinity part-time and for YMCA part-time, and that involves trust with God. So how's it feeling now? You've gone through the sleepless nights what about now in, in terms of trust? Um, well, I guess I've kind of come on a, lot, a bit of a journey from there. So now I'm kind of finding that I'm trusting him every day. So I'm seeing him at work every day. And that's something I'm growing in. So, you know, every kind of uh, incident that might happen that is kind of out of my control, more and more I'm learning, well, actually, he's in control. So being a bit of a challenging situations uh, where normally I kind of like freak out, get a bit scared. But actually, kind of, he always comes through. I'm always 
kind of safe, secure at the end of any could be, you know, pretty troublesome moment. So, can we just give Dave a round of applause? That is just such a great testimony. Thanks, Dave. I don't think Dave saw like the, the smiles um, and of delight when he came up on the on the platform there, but it's just so good to hear from someone that's really living it, isn't it? Um, so thanks, Dave, for that. And actually, he's just really queued up the next letter of my little acronym. And the I stands for inner life. So I don't know whether you heard what he was saying, but he was saying that it started in prayer. Him and his wife were praying. They were seeking God. They were feeling stirred up. And they got some Bible verses and so on. But um, the inner life is really important place to focus. If we just change the outward life, we become legalistic and fake. So it's got to start in the heart, hasn't it? We're thinking a little bit this morning about guarding our heart. Once we know that everything is a gift from God, everything, then we can be dependent on God. And just as Dave was talking there about trusting God in terms of security, I just want to read out this little passage from the Richard Foster Celebration of Discipline book because it's amazing. I found this so liberating to read. To know that it is God's business and not ours to care for what we have is amazing. God is able to protect what we possess. We can trust him. Does that mean that we should never take the keys out of the car or lock the door? Of course not. But we know that the lock on the door is not what protects the house. It's only common sense to take normal precautions. But if we believe that precaution itself protects us and our goods, we will be riddled with anxiety. There simply is no such thing as burglar-proof precaution. Obviously, these matters are not restricted to possessions, but include such things as our reputation and our employment. Simplicity means the freedom to trust God for these and all things. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we just trusted God? We literally lent on God and trusted him to keep us secure in every area of our life, wherever our area of concern is. And that also frees us up, doesn't it? to trust God and to make our goods available to others. And that starts in our inner life. That starts with surrender to God of everything. Lord, show me any area of my life that I'm holding back from you so that when anyone asks to borrow something or anyone has a need, we can give it freely, even if that means we might go without because we can trust God to supply our needs. We're rivers, aren't we? Not reservoirs. So how can we have things that are available to others? Leads us to the third point, M. I think you can probably imagine where we're going. Um, M is for modesty and moderation as well, which I didn't tell Dan earlier, but if he can possibly add and moderation, that would be super impressive. Experiencing the inward reality liberates us outwardly. Speech becomes truthful and honest. The lust for status and position is gone because we no longer need status and position. We cease from showy extravagance, not on the grounds of being unable to afford it, but on the grounds of principle. Our goods goods become available to others. You know, I feel like I need to talk about Facebook and Instagram just a tiny little bit. I'm sorry to do that because it does get a bit dull when, when we talk about it too often. 
But it's so important, isn't it? Because it's on those sorts of social media platforms that we see people parading their goods, people showing off their amazing moments and their riches and their best outfits and their best poses and their most wow holidays. And we can all do it. But I just want to argue that actually and put forward, I'm speaking to myself, that that's not for us. Living like that and and operating like that, that's not for the people of God to do. Because we know, don't we, that all it does is inspire envy and FOMO, doesn't it? Does anyone suffer from FOMO in the room? (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Love the honesty. So I was talking to um, a a lovely young lady a few weeks ago, and um, she was quite upset. And she said, you know, she she was struggling with FOMO. She was struggling with a feeling that was dogging her and constantly overcoming her of missing out on the things that other people were enjoying. Everyone else seemed to be having a much better time and much more, many, much more friends and much more opportunities and more wealth and more stuff than she did. And so, um, yeah, we had a little chat. And um, she, she, she said, you know, I, I think I'm going to just cut it out. I'm just going to cut out Insta. So anyway, I saw her recently and uh, just bumped into each other in town. And she said, Hi. I looked at her and I thought, she just looks different. She looks different. What is it? And she said, oh, I've been off Instagram. Like, I've been off for like a week or two, you know, a few days now. I feel so different. I feel so liberated. I'm just, instead of pulling out my phone, I'm talking to God. I'm praying. I don't have that sense of missing out anymore. You know, and I'm just open to, to what God might do, to what God might bring. And uh, it was just super encouraging. So I want to just encourage you that that might be something for you that you might need to just come off. You know, it says in scripture, doesn't it? If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And I think that that actually is really applicable to the area of social media. You might need to have a fast for a while or you might need to come off it completely. But if you are on it, just constantly be guarding yourself. Ask a friend to keep you accountable. A friend that you're friends with on Facebook. Say, look, if you ever see a post that I put out there that is, is a boast you let me know. You just pull me up on it and you tell me. Because the last thing we want to do as the people of God is make other people inspire jealousy and inspire a mammon spirit in others as well, as well as ourselves. So that's pretty important, isn't it? Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold in Acts 20.33. Can we say that the same? And if we can't, let's stop putting ourselves in the place of covetousness or envy or jealousy of other people's stuff. P. P is for plan. So how can we simplify our life? Sometimes it's just by making a plan, not just sort of um, flying by the seat of our pants, but actually planning stuff. So instead of getting into debt, and uh, I heard a quote this morning, I'd really recommend David's talk this morning if you want to think a bit more about this, by the way. There's a great, great quote, and it was saying that basically when we go into debt, what we're saying is, God, you didn't really provide all my needs. I had to go and make another arrangement to cover my needs. I thought that was great. So what about us, you know, and, and I hold my hand up here, you know, we have definitely sort of um, recovered a holiday, you know, after the event, rather than saved up beforehand. But I really want to get into a saving up mentality. That's something that we are going to work on as we move on from this series. Um, how might you do that? Well, it might be quite helpful for you to have a planning evening um, with a friend or um, with your spouse, where you sort of decide, like, what we're going to do 
as we're looking ahead, you know, what, what holidays do we want to have lower down the line? And what am I going to do as I look towards them? You know, you DUIs are going off to Kenya. Maybe you need to just sort of sit back and think, right, how am I going to make sure that I save up money and put it aside? Um, you might want to plan your shop, okay? I definitely saved money when I started doing a weekly shop rather than little shops throughout the week. So plan your shops, plan what meals you're going to have and just buy what you need. That will also stop food going off in the fridge as well. So planning is a way of simplifying your life. Also, going to the supermarket all the time just takes up so much time. L. L is for less. This is such an important message, isn't it? Consuming less. Meat. Clothes. Air travel. Just stopping and thinking before we buy something or consume something. Do I really need this? Borrowing is something that I think it'd be great if we could revive it. Does anyone go and borrow stuff from their friends? Uh, Yeah? It's such a good thing, isn't it? What is it about ownership? I think ownership is actually related to the individualism that we have and that spirit of individualism that we have in our society we think if we own something we can control it but it's actually really good sometimes to deliberately choose not to own something and to be vulnerable so um I was reading a book not long ago um by a guy um called Love Does and he was a very successful businessman but he within his business within his area which was the law um, he decided he wanted to be more vulnerable. He wanted to be, just be more open to the kingdom. So when his car packed up, he, he felt like God was saying, don't buy another car. I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to rely on others for lifts. And he bought a skateboard as well. And by doing that, he was bumping into people. He was having conversations with people. You know, he wasn't afraid that he might be making a bit of a nuisance of himself asking for a lift. But he just put himself in a place of vulnerability that led to him seeking first the kingdom within his workplace. Please don't hear from the interview with David that we're saying everyone needs to go into Christian work. That would be terrible. Stay where you are in your, in your workplace. But actually, can you think of how you might just bring that up into the kingdom, and under the kingdom of God? So less. Um, I think walking is a really, really great way as well to simplify your life. You know, Jesus walked slowly, didn't he? You know, he had people interrupting him on journeys very often. But how many of us are walking so quickly or driving so fast that we are just beyond interruptible? You know, I've really found that um, I've been trying to walk more often um, on school runs and things like that. And it's a time to just reflect on scripture that I might have read hurriedly sometimes over breakfast that morning. But just let scripture speak. Let God um, bring something to mind or see somebody on the, uh, you know, along, on the journey. How often God brings someone along my path that just wants a little chat or a little word. So maybe trying to walk and being interruptible is also a, a way that we can be more kingdom-like and more simple. The reading. Um, if we just have it up again, I'm just going to reference verse 28 where it says, consider the lilies of the field. And earlier in verse 26, if you've got your Bibles open, look at the birds of the air. Okay, we need to be outside and walking slowly enough to see flowers and to see birds 
And Jesus means those things to be a lesson for us. I don't think that's a one-off lesson. I think that's a daily lesson, a daily time of just viewing, growing things, green things, things that are alive, and letting it remind us of the simplicity of creation and the simplicity that we can have in terms of our trust for God. I is the next one. I didn't know whether anyone knew we were going there. I. I is for impact. And I'm speaking to you guys who are sitting there going, this will be great when I actually earn some money. Or this will be amazing when I, you know, actually in in a few years when I've got a house. No, we need to realise that we can make a huge impact now with our time, our talents and our treasures. Okay, so one way is... um, that we can make a will. Make a will. You know, this is something Richard Foster deals with in his book. And he says, we don't realise the wealth we have and what difference it could make. You know, in a developing country, £100 would be an amazing amount of money that could be invested somewhere. You know, that could put, that could put someone through education for two years. You know, please don't neglect the day of small things. So making a will, you can buy one from Derek Smith and write it yourself, 20 quid. That's what we did. Or offering somebody a meal or a lift. You can really lift somebody and make their day just by doing something small, even if it's just a smile or a coffee. These are things that we can do. Don't underestimate your contribution. F. F is for freedom. I mean, wasn't it amazing singing, You Are Our Freedom? You know, one of my favourite verses I had on my wall when I was a teenager was Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In the area of materialism, we really have to stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened. Okay, by clothes and by stuff and by the need for a bigger house and the need for you know, two cars in the family and by a need for amazing holidays and the, and the latest phone. These are all things that are just going to burden and weigh us down. So God wants to make it simple for us. Instead of taking things on, we need to stand firm, throw them off and don't let ourselves be burdened again. So we've got to fight to keep our freedom. Christ has earned our freedom. It's ours, it's a gift, but we need to just fight to keep that, that place clean and to keep things simple. How can we tell if we're not free? We need to ask ourselves, what makes me panicky? What makes me anxious? That's going to give you an idea of where it is in your life where you're not free. And it might be that you need to lay that down tonight. We've got to review this relationship with money regularly. Regularly. And just search our heart for any trace of the spirit of mammon not only for ourselves but lastly the why for youth for young people can you think of anyone you know who is younger than you you are an example to that person of how to navigate this this place this world where materialism has got such a stranglehold on us here in Cheltenham massively amount a massive amount you know how can we show young people how to be modest, how to be, take things in moderation, how to resist the dark side of money, as well as embracing the light side of money as well. It was great this morning that we did the collection with the children here. They could put their little tithes in from their pocket money or whatever. I think that's a great thing to do. But we need all of us to be in on this, all of us helping the children 
to learn what to do by example because they will do what you do. So this is hugely important, but we can all simplify. And um, we've had a couple of words tonight that um, as we were reading those, those points, can we just have them all up at the simplify points, that there would be things just sparking in different people. So perhaps just look at that list. And which one for you or two, which one do you feel like the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you about right now? Which one do you feel like, yeah, I need to just lay that down before God. I just need to, have to be empowered in that area of money. Because this is the last sort of, in the, in the sequence of money talks. Um, you can get prayer any week, but I think there's a real anointing tonight for this area of money. Even if you're feeling irritated, super irritated by this material, that's okay. Just bring yourself up. God can take you wherever you're at. So I'm just going to encourage you, as um, the band come up and play, to come and do business with God. And just let's ask Jesus to put things into their right perspective now. So let's stand. Just look at that list again. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. Just ask the Holy Spirit now, where is it? Which of these areas, where is it that I can just, by your power, make a change and bring this whole issue of money under your conquering power tonight. The Holy Spirit, just come, just move among us now. Oh, do you know, such a sense of liberation. There is a liberation by the Spirit taking place in hearts in this place now. He is a liberating God and he just wants to remove the yoke of slavery. If anyone's feeling crushed, if anyone's just feeling weighed down by anxiety, about money, about anything else, or just a sense of, yeah, I heard Dave's talk and I just felt I need to make a change just need to make a change. It might just be a tweak. It might be a big change. God's calling me to make a change. So I want to ask you just to come up. Come up for prayer. There's an anointing tonight in this whole area. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Yeah, so, so we believe in, in the power of prayer and in the power of laying, laying on of hands. We believe that things shift and change when we do that. So we're just going to invite you to start making your way forward now if you want to receive prayer for any of the stuff that Laura's been sharing or, or in fact anything that's going on in your week. Um, and if our church family just want to begin to gather around and, and pray, that would be awesome. Yeah, just want to reiterate that. However small your amount is, it matters to God. And um, he wants you to give it. He wants you to give it. What is it that you have in your hand? What is it you have to share? 
is there even a tinier amount of tithe that you haven't even considered worthy of giving to God? He wants that. He wants that.